This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello and good afternoon. This is Ajit Tripathi. I'm the crypto co-host of Breaking Banks Europe and Breaking Banks. And today we have some you know, exceptional guests with us. We have uh, Ogden Ikovic of uh, Vizlor Digital Asset Management from Serbia. We have you know, Gabriel, uh, who is a co-founder of Her Herkel Market Making, uh, for, and they focus on market making for institutional users. And we have uh, Diego Diacchio, uh, who uh, he runs an Italian cryptocurrency exchange. So we have you know uh, three distinguished guests from the European cryptocurrency ecosystem. And uh, we're going to today focus on the rise of cryptocurrency exchanges. Welcome, uh, Ogden, Gabriel, and Diego. Thank you. Thank you. Great. So, so why don't we very briefly, uh, my, uh, briefly start with you know what uh, what you, what you what you're working on? So, Diego, do you want to start? Yeah, of course. So, I'm Diego D'Aquilio. I'm working at uh, Yam Platform, which is one of the most important uh, Italian cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, the platform was launched in uh, 2018 by six uh, Italian students that decided to create this new platform, this new exchange to try to make the cryptocurrency world accessible to everyone. Uh, we just um, raised 3.5 million euro from uh, United Venture, which is one of the most important Italian VCs. And so we are uh, developing, continuing to develop in our platform. Uh, right now, we have uh, more than 300,000 users in Italy. So we are one of the most important uh, Italian cryptocurrency community. And so our goal is to become the, the first uh, player in Italy by the end of the year and to start our internationalization from uh, the next year. Sounds great, Gabriel. I'm Gabriel Sabatini. I am the co-founder of Aircore Financial. We started as a high-frequency trading market-making firm. So our focus was on delta neutrality, market-neutral high-frequency trading. Then we realized that uh, institutional investors would, were entering the, the crypto market. So now we provide the, the infrastructure and the algorithm, the execution algorithm, to allow institutional investors to getting uh, to get exposure to crypto asset market. Great. And uh, Ogden? Uh, hello. Uh, I'm Ogden Ikovic, co-founder and CEO of Wizlord Digital Asset Management. Uh, I've been in the blockchain space for the past five years, building different solutions uh, relative to payments and cryptocurrency trading. Uh, just a few months ago, we actually launched a solution called Vladam, uh, and it's a non-custodial automated AI-based cryptocurrency trading solution that helps uh, cryptocurrency traders improve their performance. Uh, it's really uh, easy to use. Uh, user just select trading strategies, one of the supported trading strategies, and link them to the uh, account they have on third-party exchange like BitMEX, Binance, uh, Coinbase Pro, and so on. 
So, so first, thank you so much for you know introducing us to you to your, to your work. Uh, so, Diego, first question is for you, right? So, we've seen the rise of uh, some giant global exchanges, Binance, Coinbase, Kraken, uh, Bitstamp, you name it. Now, is there still space for regional or you know more targeted exchanges, uh, given the economics economics of scale and crypto exchanges? You know, uh, there are quite a few regional exchanges around around Europe, but uh, you know, the, it's a, from my own experience with working at Binance, it's uh, it's 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 a very different mix than what some of the larger exchanges run. So, where where is the opportunity? Where is the gap in the market with such you know giants uh, essentially offering a lot of liquidity and and low cost trading? Yeah, we see um, great opportunity because. Especially in Europe, there are very, very different kind of markets. So Italian market is completely different from Germany, from France, and from other countries. So we think that there are still the possibility for re regional exchange uh, to start and to grow. Uh, especially uh, during the last months where the regulator, the compliance is, uh, is becoming more restricting, especially here in Italy. So at the moment in Italy, we don't have... Um, a regulatory framework, uh, but the concept, which is like the Italian FCA, is working very, very hard to um, explain to get the possibility to cryptocurrency exchange and to custody provider to get regulated by the end of the year or at uh, the beginning of 2022. So we think that in the, we believe that in the future there will be the, the possibility that a lot of exchanges, original exchanges, uh, becoming more popular. Uh, for the next maybe three to five years. And after the period, maybe there will be a merger and acquisition phase where the all the exchanges, uh, they try to aggregate themselves. Uh, but we see when we think that, uh, especially in Europe, where, where uh, as I said, there are a lot of difference between uh, the different countries, uh, different kind of users, uh, very different uh, uh, way to uh, get into the, the cryptocurrency space. We think that there are still the possibility for uh, regional exchanges. Yeah, so uh, can you give us some examples of the type of differences in regulation that impact the crypto exchanges? Because we've been hearing, you know, uh, Coinbase just got a license in Germany. Binance uh, have been saying that they're going to try to get licenses everywhere now. So so what are the types of regulations that, you know, create this opportunity? Yeah, because for the moment, as I said, in, in Italy, uh, there is no, no regulation. So you can open your own exchange. Uh, you only have to respect the, the AML and the KYC procedure. Uh, but we don't have a kind of register uh, where the, all the exchanges have to be registered, as I said. Uh, we think, we, no, we think, we, we know that uh, by the end of the year, or at least at the beginning of 2022, all the cryptocurrency exchange that want to... Um, work in the Italian uh, Italian system, the world to Italian uh, territory, uh, they will be to get into this, uh, they will be to get uh, receive an appro uh, approval from uh, Consob uh, and Bank of Italy. So um, we think that they, uh, it will be very difficult for uh, big exchanges to try to approach the regulator uh, in, the next, in the next month. So we see a lot of space for uh, regional exchanges that uh, are working with the regulator to try to create the, the rules, to try to uh, be compliant with the rules. Uh, and we think that, uh, as I said, for big players, it would be difficult, especially for the Italian market, to get into this the market from uh, from scratch with no uh, no idea to how to approach, how to talk with the regulator. 
Yeah. Okay. So I mean, uh, so some of those problems are solvable, as in uh, you know, as in the, uh, somebody as well funded as Binance can hire people from the market. But we're not gonna. Yeah, are there any differences in customer needs? And you know, so uh, that local exchanges in Europe can serve uh, better or more differently from uh, from let's say some of these large global exchanges. So uh, I can say that uh, uh, starting from 1st of July, for instance, uh, in Serbia, there is a law on digital assets and it's uh, quite strict regulative, but it's more towards uh, uh, businesses providing services. So uh, it's quite similar to regulation on Malta, for instance, uh, and they have like uh, uh, eight or nine different uh, services that uh, businesses can provide and you need to license for uh, any of them. And from end user perspective, uh, it's more or less the same as uh, uh, it's only about uh, paying taxes on the profits you make during the trading. So it's not uh, such a strict regulative for end users, but it is really a complex process to obtain a license. And uh, we are just going to that uh, procedure ourselves now as one of the two companies that applied for the license. And I can say that uh, it is a long process. Uh, it's uh, quite complicated, uh, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get there. Yes. Uh, and Gabriel, what, what thoughts on the other uh, differences and you know uh, customer needs that uh, create? Yeah. In my opinion, regional exchanges have definitely uh, an edge on the original customers. But at the end of the day, when a customer is onboarded, so let's say that the customer has not experience regarding the crypto market, the regional exchange is a, a really good proxy to enter the crypto market at the first time. But at the end of the day, the, the KPI and the, let's say the variables that are going to influence the, the client, the, the customers, are the same everywhere. So the, the cost of the fees, the trust you have uh, toward the exchange, the, the customer support, and definitely, if the regional exchange, you know, speak the same languages of the customers, is more uh, reachable in terms of, you know, customer support, uh, as a better understanding of the financial law, financial tax uh, situation of the, the country, definitely can have a, an edge compared to the other, you know, exchanges. But this, I, I would say that these kind of uh, thoughts are more regarding the basic customers. If you go to advanced customers, I believe that the, you know, the, the success factor that an exchange is going to leverage are the same everywhere, as, a, as I said before, meaning that the fees, the, the trust you have, the, you know, if it provides credit lines to the customers, the days you have to wait for withdrawals, and this kind of, um, this kind of stuff. Also, when it comes to regional exchanges, um, let's say in, in Italy, for example, if you are a customer, you can have you know instant payment or instant bank transfer to the exchange, which is an edge compared to, to global exchanges. So, Diego Gabriel, uh, question for you. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, we've been in a very favorable interest rate environment, and there is a time window on when you know the rates go up again, and the, the demand for risk assets kind of adjusts a bit. How do you see the long-term potential of uh, of crypto assets and crypto exchanges in Europe? I mean. Are we going through a, an, an unusual bull market, or are we going to see you know a, a sustained growth for the next three to five years? 
for 10 years. Yeah, it's a good question. I think that, uh, as you said, now the for us the, was the very, very good year. Three, five years were incredible for a cryptocurrency exchange, for cryptocurrency platform, and for all the players in this industry. Uh, now we have to try to imagine how this market will evolve in the next year. Uh, as I said before, we, we believe that uh, regulator compliance will be one of the uh, factors to get more and more important. And uh, of course, for an Italian cryptocurrency exchange like uh, Young Platform, it's important to try to uh, understand how to expand because the Italian market is uh, is limited. Okay, it's a good market. It's a big market because uh, uh, there are 60, 60 million people in Italy. Uh, and, and there are a lot of we see that there are still a lot of big opportunities because the Italian banks are really, really uh, slow to move. Uh, they don't have the, the possibility. They don't want to try to get into this space. So we think for uh, that for players like uh, like Young and their competitor, their space. Uh, and we do we do believe that DeFi, so the, the centralized finance, could have a good impact into the uh, to this space because DeFi right now is uh, it's uh, it's common for people like us that are into this space since 2014, 2015. But for retail, uh, DeFi is still uh, they they still have to explore. Uh, and so they need a player that are players that are able to get these people into DeFi uh, in a simple way, in an accessible way. And so we think that uh, DeFi could be one of the uh, key key factor, could be one of the gateway to bring new users into the crypto space. Retail, I'm, I'm speaking about retail users and people that want to get into this space. Crypto exchanges aren't necessarily DeFi, right? As in the decent, uh, so centralized exchanges are obviously different from you know decentralized protocols, protocols governed by communities. So, so are you, Diego? Are you focusing on creating a regulated interface to DeFi, or on, or on actually building a decentralized platform? Uh, both, because we we think that for institutional clients. Uh, it's important to have a, 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 a sort of regulated DeFi. So we think that uh, there are space in the uh, there are possibility in that space. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, for us, uh, it's very very important to try to create uh, uh, accessible platform, easy to use platform, easy to use instrument. Because right now, uh, DeFi is something great. It's becoming more uh, easy to use, but. Uh, uh, I can uh, I can assure you that for our customer, our uh, customer, uh, our for our persona, it's still hard to understand and to use DeFi. So I believe that uh, we we have to be able to create something easy to use. It's the first uh, the first, and at the same time we uh, we do have uh, we have to create. Uh, uh, great uh, educational uh, platform. We have to insist into the, the education uh, to try to explain to, to people how DeFi can solve, uh, decentralized finance can solve some problems and can uh, improve their lives uh, because banks are uh, not able to reach these people and to create and to give them these kind of uh, products. Yeah. In, in my humble opinion, for the next next years, exchanges have to invest in three, on three major trends. The first one is the retail driven demand because I really don't believe that it is exhausted yet. And the second the second trend that we exchanges really should look into are the is the asset organization 
So let's say that they are going, they, they can list, uh, you know, several different tokens or, or represents uh, physical assets or securities or whatever. And that will be a challenge on the, let's say, compliance standpoint. And the uh, third major trend is the DeFi, because I completely agree with uh, Diego. I believe, uh, first of all, I believe the regulators will censor, will try at least to censor the complete decentralized platform. So they always, they, they, they will always try to, you know, enforce uh, at least know your customer anti-laundering uh, procedures on the onboarding on the of the clients on the um, on the decentralized platform. And I believe that exchange, uh, the exchanges like centralized exchanges that already as clients on their platform can uh, work on a really nice, uh, let's say, graphic user interface so can provide the access to, to DeFi. Also because they are, first of all, they, they have already, you know, clients. So second of all, they, they have trust, which is always better in this kind of situation because accountability is important. Yeah. It's important uh, both for retails, but uh, on uh, especially for institutional investors. Uh, I would I would partially agree with uh, Gabriel and Diego as well. Uh, so basically, uh, let's say how you are choosing a, a cryptocurrency exchange that you want to open account at this point. Uh, you you are looking at accessibility in terms. Can you open an account there due to regulative? Then you are looking about security. How secure is it? Uh, is it uh, have they have any previous uh, uh, incidents and uh, how they handle it? Uh, then fees. Uh, and finally, uh, liquidity is also quite important factor, as well as these uh, uh, maybe offered coins. In, if you are looking for specific coins to trade with, you need to find exchanges where you want to actually, uh, where you can trade with these coins. Now, uh, all of these have, have been handled by major uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, and there are small differences in fees and uh, in liquidity. Uh, I believe that uh, the future is indeed uh, uh, decentralized finance, but uh, we are not there yet in terms of uh, user experience and in terms of raising awareness about uh, what values does uh, decentralized finance actually bring to, to end users and uh, uh, shows like this and uh, uh, young platform that uh, Diego is working on uh, are the good approach in uh, increasing the awareness, but also in providing really good uh, user experience in the end. Great. So yeah, so we are, we are you know close to halfway now. So let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll talk about uh, you know uh, crypto exchanges in the, in the context of fintech, European regulation, uh, you know where the the the, the sector fits from a crypto uh, from a, from a broader fintech perspective. The FTS Fest is back. As 2021 develops, it will become more and more apparent how this year can truly mark the start of a second fintech revolution. Starting with a focus on sustainability, financial inclusion and impact investing, topics that today must be considered transversely, we'll explore trends that are already shaking up the industry, such as embedded and decentralized finance spotting. Be part of the fintech revolution 2.0. Join FTS Fest. 
Hello. So we are uh, back here on the on the 90th episode of Breaking Banks Europe, focusing on the rise of cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, with me, I have you know uh, our guests Gabriel Sabatini, Ogden Ikovic, and Diego Diakio. Uh, so uh, so I, you know as, as we discussed, Revolut is 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 essentially uh, you know fintech, and it sort of owns the front end to. Uh, to a lot of uh, European customers, then we also see, uh, you know, PayPal looking to offer some crypto services soon in the UK. Uh, now, on the back end, these uh, you know entities use uh, large institutional brokers like Paxos, or they often have APIs or you know principal trading with the risk being offset across multiple cryptocurrency exchanges. So, uh, so, so, so from a regional, you know, crypto exchanges perspective, from a European perspective, uh, this is a new source of competition uh, and, and not necessarily with a lot of market power. So Diego, how do, uh, I mean, how, how do you plan to compete in that space and how do you plan to position yourself as a fintech with a fiat and crypto a combined experience or as more of a pure pure play crypto entity yeah, it's a good point because we we believe that uh, this player will be a huge uh, they will be they will completely shock our ecosystem because uh, revolut paypal and uh, all these players that want to they are uh, both into this space but if they want to uh, attack the, the retail uh, retail customer for the crypto space. It will be something that we need to uh, be very very careful. So uh, this is the reason why uh, we we want to compete where we think that we can have some some hedge. Uh, as I said, uh, we we now have our own community, so we do believe that uh, uh, creating community uh, it could be something uh, that we can uh, do well and better than these uh, big players. Uh, at the same time, um, one of the reasons why, in my opinion, gateway exchange, uh, regional uh, exchange can have some uh, possibility to survive uh, is that uh, we have um, we have partnership with uh, regional with uh, Italian bank for uh, for our case so we are a good gateway uh, between the fiat uh, the fiat and, uh, and the crypto uh, in my opinion of course uh, with Revolut uh, it would be easier to uh, use your own euro to buy cryptocurrency uh, but uh, we can offer say at the moment we uh, we think that we can offer a better service because as I said there are a lot of um, possibility that we can offer to our users and so we do, we believe that this uh, gateway for uh, for our clients that want to get into the market and want to uh, get out of the market when they want to sell the, the, their position and convert into euro it could be uh, something that we can offer uh, in comparison of these uh, these big players yeah makes sense so again from an institutional perspective uh, you know uh, what are the regulations that you tend to be most uh, uh, cognizant of or concerned about? Or uh, because you know, in in Europe, for example, we've seen a lot of uh, critical noises coming from regulators, whether it's the OECD, the FATF, uh, you know, or policy institutions. We've also seen the FCA spend eleven million pounds on educating young people about the risk of cryptocurrency. It's, cryptocurrencies and so on, as opposed to potentially spending 11 million on registration and licensing for crypto entities. Uh, so, you know, I mean, the good money could have been spent differently, right? So, so we are not seeing a lot of favorable regulatory approaches in, in the continents. Uh, from an institutional standpoint, how do you 
how do you see this impacting what you're trying to do? So uh, it's not favorable at all uh, from what we have seen so far. Uh, as I mentioned, we are going through this process and it's quite complex. Uh, uh, from from my point of view, it's uh, easier to open a bank now than to provide a service in the domain of uh, digital assets. Uh, but uh, what we are trying to do is we are trying to stay on the non-custodial side. Then uh, things are more simpler in a way. Uh, for us, so we are able to manage funds in a in a non-custodial context. Uh, so, uh, doing a, por a portfolio management and uh, trading on behalf of our users on their own accounts. Uh, in that, uh, uh, from that perspective, the regulations are quite uh, more simple, and uh, uh, it would allow us to continue doing business like that. But for all these uh, regional exchanges, uh, it's really complex, especially in a way uh, in the terms of the data that you need to collect, store, and share with authorities regarding your end users. So there is, uh, there are like. Uh, a lot of different reports that you need to provide to authorities uh, on a daily and uh, a monthly basis about your users, about their transactions. Uh, pretty much, uh, it's really uh, uh, extreme overhead for uh, a small company to enter the market. So uh, let's say that uh, you have some big players on the cryptocurrency market. It's not. Uh, that much of an issue for them to provide everything, but uh, you as a small startup would need basically a legal team and an administrative team in order to comply with all the regulations. That's right. That's, that's right. So, and, uh, you know, one of the, the things that uh, I, I think is, is particularly interesting is the regulation around stable coins. There is a lot of, you know, buzz in Europe uh, from various policy institutions and regulators around how stablecoins should be regulated. Now, it turns out we already have the electronic money framework, uh, right? And then USDC is regulated as uh, electronic money. Uh, so uh, I'm not quite sure what the what the point of all this noise around the financial stability implications of stablecoins is when we already have quite an evolved regulatory framework. Uh, I mean, so, so the question is, and and that brings us to a different topic, which is, sure, there is you know a very favorable market environment. There is a lot of customer adoption of cryptocurrencies, but at the same time, we are starting to see a lot of fear in the in the previous generation around you know this asset class, uh, and that previous generation still you know is is a little bit away from the technology and and still owns the keys to most of the policy institutions and regulate, regulatory agencies. So what are we doing in Europe to sort of educate, inform, and you know, uh, work with the regulators and policy institutions to, to reduce the, the risk of uh, you know, sort of a clampdown or unfavorable regulation, uh, which isn't completely thought through and something that really stymies innovation. So are you guys doing something in the in the background to create a favorable policy environment uh, for our industry? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, first of all, I, um, we see that uh, in the majority of the states of the Europe, uh, the regulators tend to launch these sandbox, uh, you know, where startups and regulators can and digital yeah, vigilant authorities can work together in order to produce an output which is favorable both for the startups and the regulators. And uh, in fact, in Italy, Consob, which is the 
the authority who controls the capital markets, basically, at the Italian FCA, uh, just launched its uh, sandbox where uh, fintech startup, especially crypto startup, can you know work with the regulators in order to, let's say, uh, lighten the, the the compliance that startup uh, should face. And uh, this kind of agreement is something like. Uh, so the startup is able to do what uh, he wants to do. He wants to do, but uh, as to without to you know to complain with all the strict regulations that are in financial markets. But the startup has to keep up to date the regulator. And uh, as Ercole, we are already working with the regulators uh, as a blockchain education network, which is a, a non-profit association. That uh, I am the secretary of this association. We, we do this kind of a lobbying activity with the regulators, with the ministers, in order to educate them and to you know, manifest our interests. So last question, Europe is, is not known for some of the, you know, for, for the type of venture environment or, or capital environment that, uh, that you know, US has or even China has now or India has now, which is, you know, sort of uh, long-term risk-taking bets from from the likes of Andreessen Horowitz or you know Paradigm uh, or, or Sequoia. I think we're seeing a lot of activity in in China and India, not just in the United States. Uh, so, how has your experience been with regards to the venture environment and funding environment for you know availability of risk capital for what you're trying to do, Ogden uh, Diego? And, and, and what do you need from the fintech community to support uh, in terms of support as to uh, for what you're trying to build? Yeah, I, I can give you our, uh, our story. As I said before, we, we raised uh, one, one month, two months ago from uh, the most important Italian VC that decided to get into this space for, for the first time. They already, they already invested in the fintech space, but for them, it was uh, the first investment into the crypto space. Um, of course, it's uh, very, very different from uh, the US or uh, Asia, where uh, all the VCs are get uh, into this space since uh, so many years. But uh, in Europe, uh, we see that there are a lot of uh, traditional uh, venture capital. They are still, they want to get into this space because they know uh, that it's the, um, it's the future of the, of the industry. And so not only the FinTech, but especially the, the crypto space, because they know the traditional, uh, traditional finance is, uh, um, is less, every day is less popular uh, with uh, especially in the for the retail their users. So they think that, in my opinion, they uh, and maybe they, they they don't understand 100% all the potential of the DeFi, uh, but they know they they at least they uh, they are trying to understand that this uh, uh, new wave, especially for uh, for the retail customer, could be something huge. Uh, and could be the next, uh, as I said, next uh, revolution in uh, for in the in the space when uh, people, when uh, all the people, they will understand totally understand this uh, new potential, and when when platform like uh, uh, Young or other competitors that are able uh, to bring to these people uh, the instrument to get into the space. 
So from my point of view, or at least from my personal experience, we are fully bootstrapped, uh, so we didn't uh, raise any funds, but uh, we did uh, uh, seize the opportunity of uh, different uh, European uh, open cause grants and projects like Block IS and Block Start, where, you, where we secured uh, uh, part of the funds for development of our solution. So in that way, uh, there is really a lot of opportunities uh, within these uh, European Horizon projects for, to get funding to get started. Uh, but uh, regarding some additional investment, uh, I can say uh, not in a form of investment in a, a company, but more as a client, we were able to uh, more easily obtain cryptocurrency, large cryptocurrency investment funds from US as our initial clients than uh, any of the cryptocurrency funds uh, from Europe. So the process usually lasts a couple of months after you present your solution and explain its benefits and all. Uh, but uh, we, are, we are at least our experience is to, to uh, have, let's say, a smooth negotiation process with the cryptocurrency investment funds from US compared to the ones that we engaged uh, in Europe, uh, and they're more easily to allocate funds for asset management. Fair enough. Gabriel? Uh, from, from my understanding, now in Europe, you can have different type of VCs. You can have you know, the old institutional VCs who are just started moving, depending uh, on, the, on the state. Let's say in Germany, they, are, you know, they, they, they move faster, and they started moving before compared to Italy. But yeah, institutionals are entering the market, uh, uh, even if they are facing, they face challenges in evaluating the startups because they don't, they don't know the market, you know, they don't know the, the standard KPIs of this kind of market and the products, they, they, they have difficulties in uh, assessing the team and so on. And then you have, you know, uh, crypto VCs who are this kind of new, new VCs who, Pretend to go, who tend to invest just in tokens or this kind of stuff. And then, you know, they want the pre-sale, then you have to list the token because they hope the token is going to be, you know, uh, to do a per five times uh, after just, just after the listing or this kind of stuff. So the, the, I, I think that the, the, these are, this is the activity in the market uh, now in, uh, in Europe. And also you have the banks and the corporate partners in general that they realized that they are, you know, they they didn't they didn't have they did, they already lose the first mover advantage, so they are trying to reach out to startups and that are doing, you know, activity in this kind of market in order to you know see if they can invest. And uh, I I believe that there is a huge possibility that in the next two years, two three years, uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, M&A activity from banks. So we're going to buy you know crypto startups and this kind of. Uh, you know, so yeah. that's, a, that's a very interesting perspective, right? So uh, I think as what I'm translating everything you said is that, yep, sure, there is venture funding available in the early stages, uh, you know, but obviously the risk preferences are different and the funding for scaling is a little bit limited. And that's always been the case in fintech in Europe. I mean, until, you know, and, and even some of the, the biggest uh, entrepreneurs, I mean, biggest uh, startups, whether it's Revolut or Klarna, have got quite a bit of funding from the U.S. investors, and we're seeing the same pattern in crypto. 
Now, uh, so, so that limits the, you know, the scalability and global competitiveness to some extent, obviously, and the domestic regulatory environment as well. So, so I think uh, what would be interesting is, you know, for, uh, uh, for so, so if we can find a way to, you know, work, work as a community and address those two specific challenges around scalability and regulation, then we could potentially, you know, create truly world-class uh, crypto fintech the US entities or you know China uh, based and I mean there are some examples like I work for Aave and Aave is you know is European homegrown and one of the largest DeFi protocols in the world um, but there are very few examples like that right there's Nexus Mutual and a few others there are some DeFi protocols that have done really really well and have been you know born and grown out of Europe. But those examples are uh, are fewer than than I think we would like to see. So yeah, overall, I think uh, you know you know this has been a very helpful discussion, Diego, Ogden, Gabriel, in in helping uh, I think our uh, listeners understand the state of the crypto industry, the rise of the crypto exchanges, where the opportunities are, where the challenges are, and where you know uh, we could collaborate as an industry to create first of all a favorable policy environment, secondly, a favorable venture environment, and then third, uh, to make sure that as a continent, we remain competitive and we do, do not limit innovation and therefore our own competitiveness, because we're seeing a lot of that with, you know, with AI around GDPR, with crypto around unfavorable regulation. So, so maybe we shouldn't be in a hurry as a continent to regulate before we innovate. And, uh, you know, so I, I think hopefully that mass, uh, that message reaches where it belongs and we've been you know working very proactively with agencies to to sort of uh, to educate and inform and uh, point at the opportunity of this new web3 ecosystem that's been created and it's really great that you guys are doing the same thing so thank you so much and uh, it was truly a privilege to host you on our podcast and hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to do so again thank you so much Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.